Heavenly Father, we long for your commands this morning because you are our Father. We open our mouths that you may fill them with your word by your Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, we pray that we would feast upon your word this morning and that we'd be strengthened as we look to you to feed us this morning. We would recognize once again that man does not live by bread alone, but upon every word that proceeds from the mouth of our God. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we continue this morning our series in the book of Colossians, and we've been looking at how we have forgiveness of sins uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, That was made very clear for us in verse 13 of chapter 2. I encourage you, if you've got a Bible there, open it up to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, where the Apostle Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code and the We saw there the triumph that we now have over Satan. And then as a result of what Christ has done for us in forgiving us our sins, we saw that we have a job to do. And particularly we have to resist those who would mislead us away from Christ Jesus. And so in verse 16, we see this word, therefore. As a result of what Christ has done, therefore. What are we supposed to do? And the first thing that we saw we were supposed to do in verse 16 was not to let anyone judge us by what we eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. So the first thing we were supposed to see uh, and that we looked at last week was that we're not to be distracted by diets and days. We're not allowed to let false leaders impose diets upon us and impose days upon us so that we think that by our righteousness in keeping particular diets and keeping particular days, we are made right before God. No, Jesus Christ has cancelled the written code. He has forgiven us of our sins. And so we've got to watch out for these false teachers that come along with, do not eat, do not drink, and you've got to worship in this particular way on this particular day. We've got to watch out for them. And The next verses then, and what we're looking at today, is warning us against false teachers for uh, other things that they may do. Not just that they will lead us astray with diets and days, but they'll lead us astray in other ways. What do we have to watch out for in a false teacher? What does a false teacher look like? Well, verse 18 and 19 are going to tell us today. Verse 18, look with me now at Colossians chapter 2. It says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels, disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen. His unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. We saw in verse 16, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival. And now we've got another do not. As a result of Christ cancelling the written code, forgiving us of our sins, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to watch out for those who... Delight in false humility in verse 18. That's the first thing that we notice about these false teachers. They delight in false humility. What is that describing there? Well, it's the word for humility, and so the the New International Version here has put the word false in front of it, but it can be translated with the idea of asceticism, which means a denial of the body. And so diets are very much front and centre in such an idea that, of course, this is these, these false teachers who are very interested in what you eat or drink, and we discussed that last week as we looked at verse 16. But here we see some other characteristics about these people, and what is that? that they talk about particular experiences they have had, that they talk about religious experience, which often follows closely on behind asceticism. If you starve your body, 
then it's not surprising if you start to have some experiences that are unusual. If you, uh, take, uh, if you stop yourself from eating or from drinking, it doesn't take long before you start seeing things. And so it follows on fairly quickly after the idea of being restricted about eating and drinking and asceticism in verse 18 that we see what these experiences these people were having and that they would then mislead the Colossian church with. So people were coming into this Colossian church and what were they talking about? What were they experiencing? Verse 18, the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. That these people were coming in and talking about the worship of angels. That they were having contact with angels, religious experiences. And they wanted the Colossian church to follow after them. What else were they doing? Well, verse 18 says, the second sentence there, such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen. They were having visions is what is being described there in verse 18. They were seeing things. And also in verse 18, they go into great detail about what they have seen and their unspiritual mind puffs them up with idle notions. They've got these thoughts and they're giving the impression that they're from God, that they're getting these things from the Holy Spirit possibly, but really they're coming from their own mind. They're coming from the flesh. They're coming from their own human mind rather than from God. And so that's what these false teachers are like, that the Apostle Paul wants to warn the Colossian church many years ago about, that these people come in teaching asceticism about diets and days. They'll also start talking about contact with angels. They'll start talking about visions that they've had. And they'll start talking about things that they've thought up, these notions that they've had. I've got these great ideas and I'll share them with you. And you don't need to worry so much about the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me and my visions and my contact with angels and the things that I have thought up that have occurred to me in my enlightened mind. And the Apostle Paul wants the Colossian church to be very wary of such people. Now, is this good advice for us today? It's good advice for the Colossian church because they actually had people coming into their community teaching such things and talking about such experiences? Do we have people coming to us today and talking about such things and, and sharing their experiences and trying to mislead us away from the true gospel which is found in Jesus Christ? Well, the answer is yes, yes, yes. We, of course, have people who are talking about the contact that they have with angels. We have people who are talking about their special experiences that they have had, the things that they have seen. And we have people who are talking about the idle notions that they've just thought up and trying to mislead us. The passage that we had from Deuteronomy 13 before shows that thousands of years, even before Jesus Christ, dreamers would come along. And we see in Colossians that dreamers were coming along. And today, dreamers come along as well. There are all kinds of religions out there with all kinds of experiences to drag you away from the Lord Jesus Christ and to say, I've had the real experience of God and you should be following me and what I teach rather than Christ Jesus. What's an example of such a religion? Well, I've got one example for you this morning that I'll spend a little bit of time on, but I could choose lots of different ones from church history. And this one comes from the Book of Mormon. So I've actually got a different Bible up here today as well. Bible just means book. Uh, I don't have the Christian Bible just alone up here. I've got the Book of Mormon up here. And, uh, and at the beginning of the Book of Mormon, it actually talks about the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith. And so he gives an account of how he came about to propagate... The church, uh, the church of the Latter-day Saints uh, of Jesus Christ, which we commonly call Mormonism. And so in the preface, he talks about how 
he experienced something from God and how then he was told to propagate the teachings that he received from God. If you've never read the Book of Mormon, uh, well then... It's something that is a curiosity, which is uh, worth reading, or at least the uh, initial account. I'm going to read the first page, but if you can, you can access it online and read the full testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith. That's how it's entitled. So the first section of it, I mean, you've got uh, the testimony of the first eight witnesses, uh, that what they saw of Joseph Smith's plates, which we'll get to in a second, uh, they're there as well. But it starts very early on with the testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith. It says, the prophet Joseph Smith's own words about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon are, on the evening of the 21st of September, 1823, I betook myself to prayer and supplication to Almighty God. Should set the scene, of course, he's in North America. So this is Joseph Smith. Uh, He's a resident of North America in 1823. While I was thus in the act of calling upon God, I discovered a light appearing in my room, which continued to increase until the room was lighter than that at noonday when immediately a personage appeared at my bedside, standing in the air, for his feet did not touch the floor. He had on a loose robe of most exquisite whiteness. It was a whiteness beyond anything earthly I had ever seen, nor do I believe that any earthly thing could be made to appear so exceedingly white and brilliant. His hands were naked, and his arms also, a little above the waist. So also were his feet naked, as were his legs, a little above the ankles." His head and neck were also bare. I could discover that he had no other clothing on but this robe as it was open, so that I could see into his bosom. Not only was his robe exceedingly white, but his whole person was glorious beyond description, and his countenance truly like lightning. The room was exceedingly light, but not so very bright as immediately around his person. When I first looked upon him, I was afraid, but the fear soon left me. He called me by name and said unto me that he was a messenger sent from the presence of God to me and that his name was Moroni, that God had a work for me to do and that my name should be had for good and evil among all nations, kindreds and tongues, or that it should be both good and evil spoken of among all people. He said there was a book deposited, written upon gold plates, giving an account of the former inhabitants of this continent, that's North America, and the source from whence they sprang. He also said that the fullness of the everlasting gospel was contained in it. These books, these plates, sorry, they they have the fullness of the gospel, this angel says, as delivered by the Saviour to the ancient inhabitants. Also, that there were two stones in silver bows, and these stones fastened to a breastplate constituted what is called the Urim and Thummim, deposited with the plates, and the possession and use of these stones were what constituted seers in ancient or former times, and that God had prepared them for the purpose of translating the book. Again, he told me that when I got those plates of which he had spoken, for the time that they should be obtained was not yet fulfilled, I should not show them to any person, neither the breastplate with the Urim and Thummim, only to those whom I should be commanded to show them. If I did, I should be destroyed. While he was conversing with me about the plates, the vision was opened to my mind that I could see the place where the plates were deposited, and that so clearly and distinctly that I knew the place again when I visited it. So basically, he's showing him a place in the ground where he needs to dig and he'll find these plates. 
After this communication, I saw the light in the room begin to gather immediately around the person of him who had been speaking to me, and it continued to do so until the room was again left dark, except just around him. When instantly I saw, as it were, a conduit open right up into heaven, and he ascended till he entirely disappeared, and the room was left as it had been before this heavenly light had made its appearance. Now, that's the, the end of the account. If you'd like to read what else happened to him and how the angel continued to appear to him, and then there's more. If you've not just the Book of Mormon, you've got to get the Doctrines and Covenants. Uh, I've got the edition. A Mormon gave me this. This is wonderful. Um, it gives me the whole lot, uh, the, all, their, all their texts, uh, so that you can uh, peruse it. Uh, but basically, this is an example of someone who's had a vision, who's s- met with an angel, and got the true gospel from this angel. And you may laugh as to why would anyone believe such a person called Joseph Smith in North America that he has the true gospel? You may laugh, but others don't. Taken from the Latter-day Saints website, they say it took 117 years, so from 18 to 23, for the church to grow from the initial six members to one million. So it took time for the first million people to follow after Mormonism. The two million member mark was reached just 16 years after that. So first 117 years to get a million members, 16 years later to get to two million in 1963, and the three million mark in eight years after that. This accelerating growth pattern has continued about a million new members now being added every three years or less. Church membership today is over 15 million people worldwide following Joseph Smith and believing that what he saw is indeed true, that he went into great detail about what he has seen. It's great detail. I mean, they accept the the King James Bible as well, but this is a fat book. He goes into great detail about what he has seen and what he has heard and what those plates that book revealed to him, and he expects people to follow after him. What is the danger of following after such a false leader? Why shouldn't we follow people who claim to have spoken to an angel like Joseph Smith or had a vision or thought up some great truth? Well, false teachers and those who follow them are disqualified for the prize. That is what the Apostle Paul says for us in verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels, why? Disqualify you for the prize. Do not follow them because they will disqualify you for the prize. Jesus says in Matthew 15, verse 14, if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. If you follow after Joseph Smith, you will fall into the pit along with him. They will disqualify you for the prize along with themselves. Now, what is the prize that the Apostle Paul is speaking of here? Well, of course, it's heaven. That is the prize that we long for. I mean, the Apostle Paul speaks about it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That is the prize. That's what we want. We want eternal life in the glorious city of God. We want to be in that place where there is no pain, there is no crying, there is no death, with streets of gold. That is the prize. But these people will disqualify us for the prize. Now, why are they disqualified for the prize? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 19, after speaking about these false leaders and how we should not let them disqualify us for the prize, what does he say in verse 19? Such a person, he has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. 
They have lost connection with the head. Now, who is the head? Well, the head, of course, is the Lord Jesus. That is how he is described in chapter 1, verse 18 of Colossians. And he is the head, speaking of the Lord Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. These people have lost connection with Jesus. When they go on about the things that they have seen and the angels that have spoken to them, and they have these idle notions in their minds, and they go on about diets and days. They have lost connection with the head, with the Lord Jesus. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important to be connected to the head? Well, it's through the head that we get the support and nourishment that we need. That is what he said to us in verse 19. Look with me again, Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported. It is supported. And we understand that about a body. If you chop someone's head off, their body is no longer supported by the head, and so they quickly perish. The other way that you can translate that word in verse 19, uh, supported, can be nourished, that the body is nourished by the head. Without a head, a body ceases to function. And that's the same for us in our relationship with God. If we're not connected to Jesus Christ, well, what does that mean? We can't have life with the rest of the body. It is through the head, Jesus Christ, that we have the Holy Spirit who invigorates us and gives us that life that we enjoy in this world and the eternal life that we'll enjoy in the next. Why else is having the head so important? Well, we read in verse 19, he has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. If you lose connection with your head, your actual physical body, then you lose connection with the rest of the body. The nerves from your hand run up to the head and then they run back down to the feet and to the other parts of the body. It is all connected back up to the head and back down. And it's the same for us as Christians. If we follow after false teachers, we lose connection with the head and therefore we're not connected with the rest of the body of Christ, the church. We lose contact with the church. And it's not surprising that Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, he broke away from the official church as well. Joseph Smith actually asked God himself whether he should join the Presbyterians, the Baptists, that's us, or the Methodists, which is the right religion to join. And what did God say to Joseph Smith? He must join none of them, for they were all wrong. That's what Mormonism teaches. What does that show? They've lost connection with the head, which connects you to the rest of the body. And faithful churches have nothing to do with Mormonism as well. If you're a member of the church and you get into Mormonism and say that it is true, what will a good church do with you? It'll chop you out of membership. It'll excommunicate you. You will lose connection with them because you've lost connection with the Lord Jesus Christ, the head. And it's not just Mormonism. Fights and quarrels happen between people in churches. What does that show? It shows they're losing connection with the, the head. It's why it's such a scary thing. If you have problems with people at church, major problems with people at a church, and if you are not interested in joining a church, then what does that say about you? You have to ask the question, have I lost connection with the head? If I'm not connected with the rest of the body, what does that mean? I may not be connected to the head itself. And so I have to examine myself. Am I really repentant of my sins? Am I really trusting in the Lord Jesus? If I can't get on with the rest of the body, 
maybe I have no connection to the head after all. Why else is having the head so important? Well, we see in verse 19, after we see that the head supports the body, holds together the body, it also grows the body. Verse 19, and grows as God causes it to grow. If you have the life coming by the Holy Spirit from the head, which is Jesus Christ, and you have connection to the rest of the body, what happens then? You grow, you become more mature. You see that with your physical body. By having your head still on your shoulders, you're able to grow because you're, you're, you're still connected there, you're getting the nourishment from the head, and you're also connected to the rest of the body. And so you should be growing. And that's how we are as Christians. But if you are following a false leader, it's not surprising if you don't grow in Christ anymore because you've lost the head. You're not connected to the body. You're not getting that nourishment that you need. And so you may be active, but you're not active in the right direction. You may be growing, but growing down rather than up as you're supposed to be. We've got to make sure that we're connected to the head. And false leaders will lead us astray from the head. If we're not growing... We've got to ask ourselves the question. If we're not becoming more mature, if you don't see yourself becoming more holy, being more obedient to the Lord Jesus, I'm not saying that you stop sinning altogether. Until we reach glory, that's not God's plan for us. That's what I crave for glory. I crave to see the Lord Jesus, but I also crave this, that I will stop sinning altogether. But that's not at this point in time for us. But we should see ourselves growing if we're connected to the head, we're getting that nourishment, we're connected to the rest of the body, we should see ourselves growing. And if you don't see yourself growing, if you don't see yourself more interested in the things of God day by day, if you don't see yourself being more obedient to the commands of God, then you have to ask yourself, am I actually connected to the head? Am I truly repentant of my sins and trusting in Jesus Christ? Or is there a possibility that I'm off on my own and that I've ended up following a false leader? So what are these false teachers like? Well, I was trying to examine them this week and I thought that one of the best analogies I could come up with is they're like headless chickens. They're headless chickens. Although they run around for a bit, they can't live for very long, they can't seek out other chickens and they can't grow. That's what, if we're connected to the head, we're able to live, we're able to seek out others, we're connected with others and we can't, and we are able to grow. But you think of a chook that's had its head chopped off it still can walk around a bit. It looks like it's still got a bit of life to it. But it's not going to last long. And it's not going to have much community with the other chickens. And it's certainly not going to grow much. And a headless chicken, it won't get a prize if you put it in a race. That's what verse 18 warns about, is that these people will disqualify you for the prize. A headless chicken What's it going to do? It's just going to go around in circles. It's disqualified from any race. If you put it in a race for food, you put some food down for the chickens and see which one comes over first. The headless one, will you be banking on that one? No, it's absurd. It's stupid. It's foolishness. But that's what it's like if you follow a headless chook, if you follow these false leaders who go into all their experiences and what they've had of angels and the idle notions that they've thought up. They love talking about what they think rather than what the Bible thinks. It's like following a headless chook. Are you letting a headless chook disqualify you for the prize this morning? Is there any possibility that is you? Because if you aren't following Christ, 
you are following a headless chicken. There's no alternative. You're either connected to the head, which is Jesus Christ, or you're not. And maybe you're the headless chook. You're the person that's being described in verse 18, coming up with idle notions like, there really is no God, or the Bible is a lie. There are lots of headless chooks out there who are teaching such things as well. Sadly, a lot of them are in theological seminaries, and they're teaching these things. They know lots of the Bible, but then they're talking about their own ideas all the time. If you're not following Christ, then you're following a headless chook, and you will be like them. Come to Christ for forgiveness if you realise you've been following a headless chicken, if you've been following a false leader. Come to Christ. Ask for the forgiveness that he promises there in verse 13 and 14 of this tremendous epistle of Paul, that he will forgive all your sins if you will come and say sorry and ask that Christ's work at the cross be for you. But if you are a Christian, are you remaining vigilant so that you recognise headless chickens early? Because if you don't, the next thing you know, you'll be partly responsible for the death, the disqualification of 15 million people. You think of Joseph Smith, 15 million people worldwide follow him. And all those people, they have a part to play. By following him, they're endorsing what he taught in the Book of Mormon. And they're leading others astray. They go out as missionaries. If you haven't met a Mormon missionary, well, you must be staying at home. They're here in Sydney as well. You'll see them riding around on their bikes. They're out there. If you're not following Jesus Christ, then you need to come to Christ. And if you are following Christ, you need to be vigilant because they are out there. And the next thing you know, you're disqualified and you're disqualifying other people. When someone comes claiming to speak in the tongues of angels or have some spiritual experience with an angel, do you check to see if they're a headless chook? When someone says, I've had a vision from God, do you check to see if they're really just a headless chicken? When someone says, I think, without any reference to the Bible, do you check to see if they're a headless chicken? We don't put dreamers to death anymore, like Deuteronomy 13 commands, but we're expected to put their ideas to death in our minds. We're not let, meant to let them grow and prosper in our minds like weeds. But how do we know if someone is a headless chicken? How do we know when someone comes along with their experience and they're wanting to talk to us about it or their ideas? Well, hold on to your head is the first thing you should do. Trusting in Christ and listening to him in his word given by the Holy Spirit. That's what we've got to recognise about these headless chickens is that they've lost connection with the head in verse 19. And so we should make sure we're holding on to the head. If there's one thing you do with your life, cling on to Christ. You can let everything else go, but cling on to Christ. Hold on to him, trusting in him and him alone and listening to his word. If you have a head, then you can quickly see which chooks are actually headless, can't you? Think of the chickens in the yard. The ones that have a head on, they can actually recognise which ones don't. And that's what we've got to be. We've got to be united to the head, Jesus Christ, clinging to him. And then we can look around through Christ's eyes, at those who come along trying to mislead us. 
Hold on to Jesus Christ. Second thing to recognise headless chooks and stay away from them is to rejoice daily in knowing Christ. Rejoice daily in knowing Christ. False leaders, why do they get involved in these things? It's because they want something more. They want something more than Jesus. They want something more than his word. They want some sort of experience from God. And what does that show about them? They don't know the true joy of knowing Jesus Christ and his word. They're not satisfied with Christ. They want an angel to appear to them. And so as soon as some sort of vision is given to them, possibly by Satan, they link onto it, they latch onto it, and they're led astray completely because they haven't rejoiced in the Christ that is revealed in Scripture. And so we have to make sure we're rejoicing in Christ Jesus, having a joy in him, and so that we don't want to buy any extra spiritual experience that the next snake oil salesman comes along with offering you. Because we have joy. We have all we need. And it's all in Christ Jesus. We rejoice because we live now and for eternity. We rejoice because we are connected to the church who encourages us and supports us. We rejoice because we are growing. We're connected to the head and so we're growing stronger and holier because of our head. We should see it. Someone asked at Bible study this week, how's your relationship with the Lord going? Ask the whole group. And I spoke a little bit about the things that I've been seeing in people and the things that I've been seeing in my own family and how encouraged I am and the things we can talk about and we should be looking at our own lives and seeing God's work there and rejoicing in it that we can see growth in the people around us who love the Lord Jesus. And we can see growth in our own life. And so we don't need an angel to come and appear to us because we've got so much joy about what God is already doing in our lives without needing him to do something extra and give us some sort of vision or some sort of notion in our mind that we can think up. And we rejoice because we know that we will receive the prize. We're not disqualified for the prize because we have not lost connection with the head And God is calling us heavenward, even now. Let's come to our Lord Jesus now. Let's speak to him. Lord Jesus, we praise you as our head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to hold on to you by faith and to listen to your voice and rejoice in you, So we not only recognise false teachers, but we loathe their visions and ideas which would lead us away from you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.